Welcome to episode 226 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us. If you think that conflict is always bad for your relationship, think again. Today, we're talking with Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark, who are life partners, therapists, and authors of the new book, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. They've helped hundreds of couples reconcile their differences and get their relationships back on track. But they say it's not about romance. Instead, they teach couples that the things we argue about often have the potential to pave the way to greater intimacy if we learn how to use it properly. They sat down with me to explain more about how we can all learn to deal with conflict in a relationship and use it to build a stronger, healthier bond. Well, Susan and Chris Marie, welcome to the show. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, we're excited to be here. So looking forward to it. (laughs) Well, this this book is really upending some long-held beliefs about relationships. So I wanted to know, first of all, how you came to write this book. That is a good question. This is Chris Marie. We have been in relationship. We've worked in been life partners for 20 years. And when I first met Susan, she was, I saw her deal with a bully in, in a group setting. And I was just like, I want to learn. She did it in a way that really worked. And I came from a background where, oh my gosh, my dad was very angry. And so I was always, my job was to make everything smooth. And the way I saw Susan show up with energy, but effectiveness, I thought, this is really cool. I want to learn how to do this. And it really transformed the dynamics of that situation. And this is Susan. I think, you know, in that moment, I think what I learned over the years initially because of my own health challenges and then later because I became a marriage and family therapist was that if there's a way when tensions are high and differences are being expressed to hang in and make contact with the other person and see beyond the story that's getting presented, that kind of connection is very profound and people are longing for it. And we've lost sometimes our the recognition that to get to that place, you have to go through kind of, you have to go through the fire a little bit. The messy. The messy. And, but the result is incredibly rewarding. So. What really is interesting is we all have this pretty universal belief that what makes a relationship last is being able to keep the romance alive. <laughs> so when you say that the key to a lasting relationship is conflict. It's like, (laughs) wait a minute. So can you tell us more about that? How does conflict actually benefit our relationship? Well, this is Chris Marie. And like I was saying, you know, I grew up with a, an army colonel dad that was angry all the time. So every night at dinner was like running the gauntlet, hoping he wouldn't explode. And I try to keep the peace or change the subject. So I wound up really becoming somebody who was a pleaser and an achiever. And then when I got into relationship with Susan, what was so powerful is she really wanted to hear my point of view. We'd, we'd run into conflict and I'd be like, we're over. It's done. I, you know, <laughs> over and over again. And she would say, I really want to hear from you. <laughs> I'd be like, well, I'm scared right now. And wound up happening when I started to trust wait a minute, I can really have a different point of view. And we would engage, we would come up with something that wasn't my way or her way. It was something new that had emerged. And that's this happens in brain science too. We come up with those eureka moments when our brain is holding two paradoxical ideas that can't reconcile and boom, new neural pathways are formed with a creative idea. That was my felt sense 
over and over with Susan. And then we started working. So in our relationship, we started working with business teams. We saw the same thing happen. And then when we started working with couples, of course, the same thing happened. It was pretty powerful. But how so, does it keep the relationship going? <laughs> well, I guess why I, I was realizing I didn't really end that piece <laughs> because I, I think for me, I became more and more alive because I'm sharing more. More of me is in the relationship. So I feel really rather than like, oh, I better, you know, I better pick my battles. I better not bring this one up. I was actually saying, you know, I'm I'm unhappy with this or whatever the situation was. So I felt more empowered and alive, which made our romance more alive. Energy, the energy in the relationship, if that makes sense. We talk about this in the book, that there are three primary things that need to be, this is Susan speaking, and that you need to pay attention to in any kind of relationship that are important. One is is me, myself. You know, I got to know myself. I also need to be very aware of the impact I'm having on the other and aware of we call this the we, you know, what's going on between us. And I also need to be aware of the context. And what happens is we have developed strategies from childhood for all sorts of reasons where we tend to be uncomfortable with uncertainty and tension. And we opt out of one of those three areas. We stop paying attention to it. We either ignore ourselves, and that's what Chris Marie was talking about, or we we actually only pay attention to ourselves. It's kind of, that's more the superstar style where it's like, I'm going to do it my way and later people will thank me, but I'm not that aware of the impact I'm having. Or we're very super reasonable people who are very rational, but we're not actually that aware either of ourselves or the human dynamic or the other people involved. And so when those three things though, have some equal attention in time, that's what leads to congruence. Like the inside matches the outside. And that is something that is very appealing and what can help create more intimacy in a relationship. We think it's going to be the high charge sex that keeps relationships lasting longer, or maybe the the lust of romance and all of that. But we actually think that has a lot more to do with dopamine and drugs than it does (laughs) anything that's sustainable. And it's not until you get to this place of intimacy, which is, you know, one way we define is intimacy, is it, you know, where you have that vulnerability and curiosity, that's actually what makes it sustaining. You may not have quite the same sex life. You have to work on that a little bit to keep it alive, but you have a much deeper, richer, fulfilling relationship. Well, when you do have conflict, how do you use it in a healthy way? Because we've all seen couples that have a lot of conflict and it's, it's not good for them. Um, so how is it that if you have, you're in a relationship and there is conflict, how do you use that positively? Well, I think we talk about, and we talk about this in the book, we talk about two magic ingredients that really help transform those, you know, those habitual fights that you have where you bring something up, your partner reacts and you counter react and then decide, I'm never going to bring that up again. (laughs) You know, that's the pattern that the unhealthy conflict. But if we talk about being vulnerable and being curious, and if I can actually, rather than saying, Susan, it's your fault, like, why do you keep your socks on the floor all the time or whatever the problem is? If I can talk about myself, like I realize, and this is a vulnerable move, I realize I'm uncomfortable. 
it, it depresses me to see your socks on the floor or whatever it is. I feel like I'm the one that always has to clean up after both of us. That's me being vulnerable and saying what's happening inside. And then I could even get curious about what's going on for you. And this is a small one, but what's going on for you that you always leave your socks on the floor or jealous, <laughs> <laughs> or even how is it for you that I'm even bringing this up to talk about? So being curious about the other person, those two ingredients really help transform kind of that habitual, here we go again, sort of conflict. It really changes that dynamic. So then does it take situations like that if you have something that you're constantly fighting over or disagreeing over can that actually get removed because the other person understands what it means to you well that's a big part of it this is susan speaking like if i show up with vulnerability and curiosity the other question i can ask when i get to that place is if we still are at odds with each other this probably wouldn't happen with the socks but it might <laughs> but if it's something that's a little more you know, money, money yeah. or a little more hot or sex or something. If I can go beneath that and say, listen, I am really interested in why this is so important to you. Like as if, if instead of just staying in my position, I can get myself to the point where I could be interested. Wow. You have a whole different perspective on this than me. You want something different. And if I don't fight about that, but go underneath it, why is it important to you? And we keep exploring that. Usually that's where there begins to be some empathy, some understanding, and we can begin to create, you know, it's not like we compromise. We actually create new and different ideas based upon more information. Because too often couples are trying to solve, whether it's money or any of these hot topics, they're trying to solve the problem at the top level. Do we save? Do we spend? And often, especially money can be quite charged. You know what we have family influences. There's a lot that's going on, ego stuff. And if you can slow down and take the time, and we talk about this tool that's very effective when couples are approaching a, a hot topic. And we talk about, it's called the 555. And it's a boundaried communication experience where, let's say it is money. You take the one person, takes the first five minutes and they talk about it. And five minutes can sound like a long time for somebody. For me, it's like, it's perfect because I know I'm not going to get interrupted. I can, I, it doesn't mean I have to talk the whole time. I can take a breath and think about what I want to say, but I get to kind of bring up all sorts of stuff that's underneath saving or spending for me. And then the second five minutes, like Susan would get to talk uninterrupted and I would listen. And then the third five minutes, that's when we have a dialogue. And at the end of the five minutes, we would end and stop. So that's the five, five, five. I see Susan's. Phone. I'm chuckling because, you know, the key here is not to make it a five, five, 45. Right. Because that's often <laughs> what happens. And, I, and, I was going to yeah. ask about that. Like, how do you hold that to five minutes? We actually use a timer. We suggest couples well, use a timer. Yes. And then and, and then after you've had that, it doesn't mean you're going to get to resolutions. We are such a culture that wants everything resolved. But if we can build up our tolerance for that need to have resolution, we can actually begin to explore the opportunity for more creative options. And, and so we often encourage couples, you know, you don't really need to solve this right away. Most things are not life and death. And so if you take the time to do a five, 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 then do something else to kind of maybe tap your goodwill with each other. And sometimes you just need to take a break because it has gotten messy, but come back and do a five, five, five at another time. You begin to develop that resilience to hold the tension of not just having an answer. 
And that's that's a pretty important thing because most of us don't like to hang out in uncertainty. But that's exactly what we need to develop if we actually want to become more conscious, more evolved, and tap into a better, greater sense of well-being. well-being. And more creativity and innovation. Yeah. You'll come up with different solutions to the same problem. Well, what happens if you're in a relationship with someone who has to win? You know, we've all been, we know those people who they actually like getting into a fight because it's a chance to win. So how does that apply? <laughs> okay. Well, I w- the first thing I, I, I would suggest is instead of arguing about that, I would be kind of curious, like, one, do they recognize that that's my interpretation, that they really have an investment in winning. Now, if they actually do get that that's the pattern, then the the simple thing I would then explore is, so why is it so important for you to win? Because that's a, what's going on? What's, and usually though, I think what stalls is actually you bring that up in a relationship and the other person says, that's not true. I don't always want to win. Now, it's, <laughs> you know, then you've got- And then you start bringing up examples. Yes. <laughs> and then it's like, wow, okay, I guess you have a very different perspective. So that's where it's a little, it's actually harder if the person doesn't know, if the person doesn't think they're doing that. And a lot of times, you know, my experience in marriage and family therapy is talking to two people about that it really is true. The person isn't doing it as much. They are both doing it and they both have a need to win. It's very rare that I project out onto, I mean, I have done it with Christopher. You just want to win. And nine times out of 10, I'm as invested in that as she is. So, (laughs) but that's a hard place that turning 180 and seeing my own participation in it is hard to do. So that's the thing that I would encourage people to do first. And the key is owning, like my story is that you want to win. Tell me, do you agree with that or disagree? So it's it's really about creating more dialogue, even around that point, than a rightness or a wrongness, if that makes sense, Paula. Yeah, it absolutely does. And yeah. then another type, and Chris Marie might be more familiar with this because her dad sounds a lot like mine, <laughs> someone who, who they, they breed a lot of conflict. And so if, say, I'm in a partnership or a relationship with that person, how I'm going to be afraid to bring these things up. So how do you do it then? How how do you handle conflict if that person is tends to breed a lot of conflict? Well, yeah, with my dad, that would be a scary scenario. <laughs> and what I'd probably say if I was afraid Susan was going to get mad at me or yell or, you know, get reactive. You, you do think that a lot. So, I mean, I, I do, I mean, I probably am not as hot tempered, but I do, you know, I have a, pa- a passionate style, which you do, you have yeah. struggled with. So yeah. carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so often I'll say, hey, I, I have something I want to This was like up. a demonstration. We get to see it in action. <laughs> and I would say, you know, I'm worried about what how you're going to react. So I feel vulnerable. And it's still important. I still want to bring it up and talk about it. Now, and I think that diffuse it? <laughs> it really does for me. This is, you know, my experience is when why I tend to be so hot wired sometimes is I am quick to react when I think I'm being blamed and I tend to get defensive. And I hear this a lot when I'm working with couples that that's the other side of that equation. And now whether that makes sense or not is not really helpful. But when Chris Marie actually tells me how it's impacting her versus her telling me you're getting too angry and too loud, I it's not safe. That that to me is all about me. And in my opinion, I actually feel pretty safe. So I don't really know that I'm you know, becoming a the monster or whatever. So, but if she just says, look, I realize, I don't know whether you're intending to be this angry or not, but I am really scared. I am scared of what's going to happen next. 
I get interested in that. If it's thrown at me like it's my fault, though, I tend to get much more defensive and it just gets worse. I mean, hopefully I've evolved a little bit and still have learned how to not get trapped in that one. But so it does work for me. And I think if there's a situation where there's been violence, physical violence, and this is really the hardest part, most people have Velcroed anger to violence. And those are two, they are not the same thing. Violence is the crossing of boundaries without permission. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of times I never say to someone, when you raise your voice like that, I get incredibly uncomfortable and don't feel safe. That would be a boundary statement about it. Someone raising their voice, though, isn't necessarily, if no one's ever said it, that's not necessarily violence. And so the key is to be able to unravel it and recognize and have that discussion with this person who supposedly loves and cares about you. Now, if that person isn't even interested in that, then I would begin to look at, is this the person I want to be in relationship with? I mean, we talk about this in the book. We talk about how to deal with your anger, how to deal with a partner's anger, and even how to come forward, which is the learning for me, is how to come forward and talk about myself and say, I'm uncomfortable or I'm scared, or this is what I want, this is what I don't want, versus I tend to look outward and think, no, Susan, you need to do this, or I don't want you to do that. You know, so it's that's why it comes across her feeling so blamed, because I'm talking about her rather than talking about me. And that sounds like such a little thing, but it makes all the difference when I can talk about myself and what I want and don't want versus talk about what she's doing wrong. <laughs> and this seems like something that someone who's listening could employ this without even the partner being on board. Like, I don't have to sit down and make sure the other person knows, here's our new ground rules. This is something you can start using. Yes. As a matter of fact, this is Susan. That's so much. That is so true. Often we teach a lot of, in working with couples, we work a lot with what we refer to as a communication model and rule things they could try. But the reality of it is nothing is dependent upon the other person being different. It's dependent upon me using these tools to become more aware of myself and show up differently. And so that in and of itself is going to be what transforms it. Not, oh, but my partner has to read the same book I did, and then we're going to be okay. I mean, we wound up, we, we do couples workshops, and then we wound up creating a workshop, a, a little virtual called Relationship Mojo, because so many people said, but my partner's not interested. And we're like, that's okay. Why don't you do this instead? Because you can do so much of showing up for yourself and learning how to express yourself and making choices. And you know, it's, it's a system. So one person changes, it inevitably impacts the other and not necessarily in a direct straight line, but there's a shift that occurs. So I totally agree, Paula. You also talk about couples that never fight. And, and I had to laugh because I have a friend who just last week, they have been in a relationship for five years, married for three, and she was upset because she and her husband had had their first fight. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I kept asking her questions that I probably shouldn't have been asking because I was like, what? No, for real? Um, <laughs> so what about those couples that never fight? This is Chris Marie. I think so often... You know, there's nothing wrong with not fighting, but it wouldn't be my choice. And I, some, my hunch is a lot of times if there's no boundaries, there's no conflict. Meaning if I'm not saying, no, I don't like that, or yes, I want this, whatever it is, I want to save more, I want to move, I want to have more sex, whatever it is, if I'm not defining myself, then the other person, Susan, doesn't have anything to, to bump up against. So if I'm always going along, you know, I'm not showing up as me. And that's what's been so different for me and what has created so much more vitality in my life is, 
yeah, I am going to say I don't want this or I don't like this because I'm talking about myself. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I don't, I like that quote of, you know, no boundaries, you know, no, no, conflict. no conflict because, and boundaries are simply the self-expression. Like there's a saying about passion is the the soul's desire to express. And for that to happen, it's, there's going to be pressure. You're going to come out and meet the world around you. And that generally is your most significant other person. They're a big part of that. And so if that's not happening at all, I actually think I would be a little concerned. Now, you said that this particular couple had been married three years. There's usually this three-year kind of bubble. Bubble, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I've never had that bubble. I've never <laughs> no, Neither have I. But, you know, I have heard rumors that there's one out there. It's like when people tell me that, like, I'm a big believer that we all have within us this passion and desire. And sometimes it comes out hot. It just doesn't matter you know, maybe the only person on the planet I think who it doesn't come out out might be the Dalai Lama. No, he even says he, he gets angry. Okay, well, yeah. there you go. <laughs> it's a, To us, it's more of a sign if there isn't any conflict that are you really showing up? Because at some point in time, that could be costly. I mean, because uh, we talk about being a full me in the face of a we. And so often when there's not a conflict, people are prioritizing the we, like I'm going to get along to go along like I did growing up. And they're not really fueling their own inner passion. And that's eventually what happens is people try to be the good wife, the good partner, good husband, whatever it is. And they eventually run into feeling pretty apathetic. And then it comes across passive aggressive because they're not really feeling fully expressed in speaking up and saying what they want and what they don't want. So many times we believe that compatibility is going to be the biggest indicator of, of whether that couple is going to have a successful relationship, whether we should stay in that. But you actually say it's something else beyond compatibility. Can you talk about that? Well, we do believe that because any two people, no matter how similar you may seem on the outside, we like the same things. We are different human beings. If we're willing to bring that forward, we have this edge where we can actually get curious and interested about each other. And that is quite an alive spot. The other piece of that is that, you know, I, this just may be me, but I don't think I'd ever want to spend the lot, my entire life with someone just like me. That would be incredibly, because <laughs> I could just be alone. And, yeah, you know, and, and yeah, and well. I do think a lot of times that we, we talk about this in the book, in that romance phase, so much of it is really, you're having a relationship with your own imagination. It really is mostly what you project onto the other person. And that's how come it's sort of, I jokingly said it was drug induced. There's a lot of dopamine release. There's all sorts of stuff that makes you feel good. But the reality of it is it's all in your imagination. Because usually we don't tell our romances like, oh, I meet this person and they're going to, you know, they're going to, we're going to get married, have kids, the white picket fence, all that's happening in an instant None of that is revealed in this whole dating, you know, dance that we do. <laughs> no. You know, so then what happens is as soon as that you get together over time, you begin, this person isn't quite doing what I want them to do. But actually, if I just tweak them a little bit and give them a little nudge this way and make them, you know, put the toothpaste lid on the toothpaste and maybe pick up their socks, we'll go back to that one. <laughs> they will become the person that I'm looking for. So we do a lot of that in the early stages of relationships, just these little, like, I'm just going to shift them a little to the... Like when I first met Susan, I wanted her, I thought my vision, my romance was she would dress really 
differently than she was. <laughs> we were working in the corporate. <laughs> we were, yeah, brought her to a corporate event and she showed up in jeans and a sweater. And I'm like, so what, I didn't say anything about that. What I did is I took her to Nordstrom's in the personal shopper section. And I had pre talk to the personal shopper with all the outfits on. I know. had no idea why I was at this. I was, you know, it was amazing to me that these things would show up like as though, okay, you're going to wear that. And I'd be like, why do you keep sending me to personal shoppers? Like, <laughs> Rather than saying, I think you need to look at your dress or I'm uncomfortable with how you're dressing. Any of that would have been more upfront, but it, we don't, we hint, we nudge, we try to control, we manage. Trying to throw away their clothes when they're not looking. (laughs) Instead of having that conversation where it's like, you know, I was imagining this. Now, a lot of times that's a hard place to go to, to own up to like, I really thought you were going to be way different than what I was (laughs) expecting. Like me, Chris Chris Marie is an Olympic athlete. And so I had this vision that when we did stuff together, we'd be biking and in the outdoors and hike. You know, no. I took her on a bike trip once and I did most of the pedaling. It was we were a, on a tandem, a tandem bike. bike and she never, uh, you know, I was like, really? <laughs> My <laughs> idea of time is the hotel, five-star resort <laughs> with so, a glass of wine. But I hadn't, you know, I had, I may not have even been aware of how much I was projecting this story on her because, you know, sometimes we don't even know that we've created this whole romance in our mind about what life should look like. And until we have that discussion and realize, well, wait a minute, I didn't think five kids. I maybe thought one, but no way are we having five, you know, <laughs> or, you know, I thought of a big dog, you thought of a small one, all sorts of things can come out of that. So even if you think you're compatible, we think if you actually get underneath that, there's a lot of areas of differences if you're willing to bring them up and it creates more aliveness in the relationship. And that's terrific. And one of the things that you say in the book is that it's the small conflicts that are the relationship killers. And we tend to think it's like the big blow ups, but it's not according to you. So can you tell us what you mean by that and what we can do to change that? Well, so often, this is Susan speaking in a couple there's these little things that occur and it's like, no, that's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to say anything. And that, okay, that's not, I shouldn't, let that bug me and I don't say anything. But what happens is that it's kind of, we talk about it like it's like putting nails in a coffin. You know, those little things are like little tiny ways that you're shutting yourself, taking yourself out of the relationship in one one respect, not saying anything. And then when, you know, when Chris Marie was saying, eventually what can happen is you get to the point where you start, you're in a role, you're not and you start getting interested outside of the relationship because you haven't actually brought your full self to the relationship. And and it, so it may appear like it's an affair or some big crisis that was the issue. But nine times out of 10, it was all these little micro things that came up that you didn't say, oh, ouch, oh, I don't like that, you know, and that adds up. Because if if I can bring myself forward on those little things, it's really our differences that even create sexual charge with the other partner. If I'm not differentiating, meaning I'm just kind of saying, yes, doesn't bother me, no big deal. I'm really not showing up. I'm not very interesting or a, a separate person. So there's not a tension between us. And that tension leads to, that's what that creativity is, but it's also the sexual charge. And so- if you can start to have the courage to say, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable, but I don't like that you leave your socks on the floor or that you don't put the toothpaste lid on and learning how, and we've got lots of little tools in the book that will help that if it blows up into a bigger argument. 
But after spending years with couples, it wasn't the couples. The other thing is couples that are fighting are not the biggest challenge for a marriage and family therapist, I don't think. Way bigger is when it's gotten to indifference. And when a couple used to walk in that was indifferent, that would be where I would be like, wow, this is way hardy. If a couple came in red hot fighting, I'd be like, okay, we can work with this. We got something to work with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. So this is a fascinating book. A lot of insight really looks at it from a different angle. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing that book with us and also just for coming on the air and talking to us today. Oh, we had a blast. Thank, thank you, you Paula. Paula. Yeah. Thank you. That was Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark, authors of the book, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. If you'd like to learn more about their work or their new book, please visit us at livehappynow.com and we'll give you links and more information. We hope you're already a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on the Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Just look for us on your favorite platform, hit subscribe, and you will never miss an episode. That is all we have time for this week. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Happy one.